Well, here in Brownsburg, we are on the last day of fall break. And so if you have kids or grandkids that are in school, you know that most of us are looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> routine starts back up. I mean, we've had a great time, but routine starts back up, and that's a good thing. Uh, but I hope that if you were in that um, shoe, you have had the chance to have some fun with your family and create some memories. Uh, the first week of fall break, Sarah and I hung out. Um, we, I took the week off, and we just had a staycation. We just hung out here, did some stuff around the city, and had some fun. But most of the time when we are on vacation, we are spending it to go see family. You see, if you don't know me, my wife and I are both from Canada, and so all of our immediate family is up there, and we spend that time going to visit and hang out with them. And this summer was no different. This summer, we took two weeks and went to Toronto and hung out with our family and just had a great time. But we did a couple things there that we normally don't do. We took a detour about two hours out of our way and stopped to Ni Niagara Falls. I mean, if you've never been there before, it's incredible. This was not the first time that Sarah and I had been there. We'd been there multiple times before. In fact, we went there when we were dating for a day and experienced something that was incredible. We're babies in this picture, right? She hasn't aged a bit, but I have some more gray hairs because uh, of the kids, I think. But this was taken on Made of the Mist. And so if you've never been there or been on Made of the Mist, it's an incredible experience. Uh, it's this boat. They jam as many people on it as they can, and you go up really close to the fall. It's just a powerful, incredible experience to sit there and stand there and have just the mist come up. You're getting soaked. I mean, it's just, it's fun. And so we did that with our family. We created, recreated the experience this summer. Things have changed a little bit. I don't even make the picture, okay, in this one. <laughs> But here's my beautiful wife, Sarah, my oldest, Haley, the middle child, Savannah, and our youngest, Carter. He's three. Don't be fooled by his smile, okay? This was after he was, like, getting drenched and completely miserable. But we just had a blast. It was so fun to be together and create those memories. Another stop that we did is that we took a four- to five-hour trip north of Toronto, or northeast, and went to Ottawa. Uh, I had spent some, I'd never spent any time there. Um, except for this weekend. Well, actually, there was one night I spent, and it was the dead of winter, and I didn't leave the hotel unless I had to. But this weekend was completely different. Now, Ottawa is the capital city of Canada, um, and it was just a beautiful weekend. I mean, this is stunning when you look at it. This is called Parliament Hill, where the you know, capital city of Canada is. The government's run there. Just amazing. You have this river down here. On the other side of the river is Quebec. Um, just incredible. The architect of the building is amazing. The history is there. It's just I, We were so proud to be there. My kids saw it as well. They were with us. You can see them here. They're standing in front of the Parliament buildings of Canada. And we just had a blast. We enjoyed the diversity of Canada. There was people from all different backgrounds and cultures and countries there seeing it. I'm coming to see the parliament. So we just had so much fun. But something really interesting happened to us on the way back, on the way back to Toronto. So we have about a four or five hour trip, and our kids decided, hey, they want to go with uh, Nana and Papa, which we were like, great, go. Um, we, Carter was with us, but it was a much quieter drive. And we had about four or five hours, and Sarah started to process something with me. She's much smarter than I am, and she can vocalize what she's feeling. And I resonated with her. I was like, yes, I've been thinking and feeling this stuff, and I didn't even, don't even know if I knew it. But as we were processing our experience in Ottawa, we had this time of like, man, like, we're so proud to be Canadian. This is, this is amazing. Like, our country, you know, the people, they're just loving it, or like that diversity. Like, we just loved it. We were so proud to be Canadian. And yet Sarah's like, you know what? Something's interesting. Something's different this time. I don't, I don't know if I really fit there. 
like I'm Canadian, but do I really fit? Do I belong there? You see, we're coming up to an interesting year in probably just three or four years where we'll have lived longer in the U.S. than we have in Canada. And so for us, it's kind of throwing us a little bit. We're trying to be like, what does this even mean now? Because when we come back to the U.S., we're like, we're still Canadians living in America, right? Like, this isn't our home. And yet when we were back in Canada, we're like, this sums off here. Like, we love it, but it's just, it's just not home. And as I, we began processing and talking to other people about this, we realized that it's a real thing. It's a thing, it's a term that was deemed in 1950, in the 50s, for kids of American citizens who were living abroad, living overseas and working over there. It's called third culture kids. I'm not going to go into all kinds of detail about that, but really what it means is it means that kids that grow up, they might be American, but they're living overseas. They have this sense of like, I don't fit in this culture and I don't fit in this culture. Like, where, where do I fit? I almost have this own unique culture, the third culture. And Sarah and I were actually experiencing some of this. We started to flesh it out and we're like, yes, that's, that's who we are. I mean, practically, this is how it looks. 2014 Sochi Olympics. I have a picture of my two girls, this was four years ago, watching a hockey game. Now, don't go into the stereotypes of Canadians loving hockey, okay? That is not our family. But during the Olympics, I always cheer for Canada. I have to. And so I'm teaching my kids, hey, this is important, okay? Cheer for Canada. They're watching a game. It's Canadian, Canada, and I think it's Sweden. It's like yellow and blurry. Either way, Canada was probably winning. Uh, but they were, they were watching this game. But I remember a game later on in that tournament where Canada and the U.S. was playing. And Haley looked at me and she goes, Daddy, I don't know who to cheer for. And I was like, okay. I mean, it was obvious, go Canada. But at the same time, she's resonating with this feeling of not belonging not understanding where she fits. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have this same question at times. I mean, I think there are times, very simply, where we're challenged that. We might be at our in-laws and we're like, yeah, we're allowed to be here, we're invited to be here, but it's not my family. Like, I don't fit, I don't fully belong here. Might be at work or on a team or in sports or something where it's just something is off. Or we may have situations in our life when we think our world is falling apart that knock us down, that force us to ask this question. You lose a loved one, you lose your job, you get diagnosed with something from a doctor, and if we're really honest, it forces us to go like, how am I going to get through this? Who am I? I'm not defined by my nationality, or I'm not defined that I'm a Hoosier, I'm not defined by this, but like, what is it that's going to bring me through this situation? Because I feel worn out. I feel isolated. I feel empty. I feel like I don't belong. Like all of these feelings. Anybody else resonate with that? Anybody else resonate with asking the question, like, are you fully sure of who you are? When we're in situations in life, when our world is falling apart, we're, we always ask that. We seem to always ask that, like, are you fully sure of who you are? Because I think sometimes we're afraid to even go there. We're afraid to go there and go like, who is it or what is it that defines me? It's easier, even though my world's crashing, it's easier for me just to put my head down and carry on. It's, it's, it's hard to ask that question and to look at it. So sometimes we just ignore it. But it's interesting to me as we are in chapter 2 of Colossians, as we start unpacking chapter 2, Paul really addresses this. He talks about our identity. He talks about this fullness in Christ. And so we're going to dig into that today. Uh, so if you have your Bible... 
Turn to Colossians chapter 2 or on your phone or your iPad or anything like that. Um, If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have the scriptures here on screen that you can follow along with us. But let's dig in to what Paul has to say to us. Starts in chapter 2, verse 9 is where we'll start. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is head over every power and every authority. So what Paul's saying here, this first part of this verse, he's saying, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So what he's saying is that the complete nature of God, like all of God, all of who he is, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the rivers and the mountains, the oceans and the lakes, the creator of you, the creator of me, he humbled himself and he is now fully Jesus Christ, fully man fully human. Now, now, when I stop to try to like actually understand that, my mind just goes, like it's hard to actually understand that. But as I've been wrestling through this and through this concept, I was reminded of my kids. You know, they all have a blessing of being doodle citizens. And so I was reminded of Savannah and a conversation I had with her at the beginning of kindergarten. So about a year and a half ago, um, she, it was the beginning of the school year and like most teachers, they'll say like, hey, you know, Tell us some stuff about you. So she had some homework. She had to tell five things that helped, you know, describe who she was. And so she came up with things like, I like this, I don't like this, and so on. But one thing that she said, she goes, Daddy, I'm going to tell them that I'm half American and half Canadian. And I was like, yeah, like that is part of who you are. That's great. And then I thought, I was like, wait, that's actually wrong. You're, Savannah, you are fully Canadian and you're fully American. Like, you're not part of both. You're fully both. And we just stopped because, like, we don't even know what to do after that, like a five-year-old and me having this very deep conversation. Uh, But we wrestled through it. But what Paul's saying here, he's not saying that when Jesus Christ was a human, he was 50% God and 50% man. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, God in his complete nature humbled himself and became man. So he's fully God and fully man. It's interesting to me, though, that sometimes we gloss over that and don't think it's important, but it's critical. It's absolutely critical to you and I to understand that or to try to wrap our minds around it. Because of the second half of this verse, it says here, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I have been brought to fullness. Once we place our faith in Christ, we have the opportunity now to live a full life, a completed life, a satisfied life. But the word fullness here, I think we, in our context, on our context, we kind of misinterpret sometimes. You know, we think of fullness as I have a full belly, okay, or I have a, you know, full gas tank. My bank account's a bad example. But you, we have fullness. Like, we think our schedules are full. Well, be careful. Like, we can't equate busyness with fullness. They're not the same thing. Not the same thing for you and I. We can actually get into this um, place even in church. Like we think coming to church is, you know, it is good. Don't get me wrong. Don't tell John I said that. Okay. Uh, Coming to church is good. Being a small group is good. Serving is good. We have all these things that we do and all of them are good. Don't get me wrong. They're all very good. But if we start defining ourselves and our identity pursuing fullness by the things we do and not who we are, we're going to miss it. 
we're going to miss it completely. It's all about how we see ourselves. It's all about how we equate this fullness to be found in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Once we live in the assurance of our identity, only then can we be allowed to live in the fullness of Christ. So it's important to know who we are, what defines us, what our identity is, because only that, then we can truly experience the fullness of Christ. But if we don't know or we um, misalign our identity, we don't understand who we are or it's wrong, we base it off of maybe what other people think of us or we base it off the, the decisions we've made in the past, the things we've thought, the things we've done, and we say, like, that's our identity, I don't know if we can truly experience the fullness of Christ when we have a wrong identity. It's incredible. And Paul starts talking about this. He starts talking about this identity. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about our identity in Christ so that we can make a choice and have fullness. So he starts in Colossians 2, chapter 11. He says, when you came to Christ... You were circumcised, but not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So all Paul's talking about here, circumcision was a Jewish practice. It was a covenant, a symbol made between people and God, setting them apart. And all he's saying is that fullness in Christ, your identity, it can't be done by human. Like mankind can't give you fullness. He's saying only through Jesus Christ, who is fully God, can you truly become full. He carries on in Colossians. He says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by victory over them on the cross. That's our true identity. That is how we should define ourselves. Our identity is not defined by our past. It is not defined by who we were before we knew Christ. That is not the case. And you see, it's, it's really powerful for us to stop and look at the author of Colossians, Paul. Because for him to do this, is amazing, and it's worth us stopping and understanding. Here, Paul, if you read Scripture and you read the story of him, he used to be called Saul before he, was, before he came to know Christ, before he started following Jesus. And Saul used to go around torturing, murdering Christians. So here's a guy, he's writing to this church in Colossae, he's writing to these, this young church, believers in Christ, and he's saying, your past doesn't define you. And this guy is a murderer of Christians. This guy was somebody who tortured them and killed them. And he's saying, no, that was your old. You were dead to that. You were no longer alive. And that you, once you accept Jesus, now you're alive. This is who you are. I mean, if that's the case for the church in Colossae, for Paul writing that, how much hope does that give you and I? To say, no, 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 I'm not, I was dead back then. Then I knew Christ, and now I'm living alive, and I'm living in freedom. Our past does not define us. Our past does not define us. You see, and this is how God sees you and I once we place our faith in him. And so our perspective on this is incredible. But oftentimes when we're running on empty or just kind of going through the motions and just surviving life rather than thriving in the goodness of God, only then 
can we actually remind ourselves that no, we're completely free. We're completely forgiven. We're completely redeemed because of Jesus Christ. It's all about how we see ourselves. So my kids have these uh, invisible ink pens. You may have heard of them or know them. Uh, they're kind of fun. You can write a message uh, on paper. You can write it on your arm. You can write it on the wall. I'm guessing I probably have some somewhere in my house that I don't even know. But you can write the message down. And to the everyday person that's walking by, you don't know who, you don't see it. You don't see the message, right? It's only until you shine this UV light on it that the message actually comes alive. You can actually see what was written down. And so I think that there's sometimes we walk through life and our past is like that. It's this hidden message. People can't see it, right? They don't know that I'm dealing with shame and guilt and all of that. I just go through life, but it's actually trying to define me and try, define my identity. He's like, no, 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 that's not the case. Or take whiteout, for example. Sometimes we treat our past like that. We say, you know what, there's a mistake made. I'm going to put some white out on it, cover it up, and write a new message on it, write the proper. But guess what? Everybody knows that there's a mistake made. They can see it. And the mistake is actually still there. It's underneath the white out. It's not gone. It's still there. So for you and I wrestling through our past and how we are challenged not to have that define our current reality or define who we are, it's a struggle. But Paul's writing, he's saying, no, 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 no. The perspective I'm writing about in Scripture, is so much greater than that. It's so much significant than whiteout or invisible ink pens. You see, in another translation that's worded like this, and I absolutely love it, it says, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Done with. When he wrote this to the people of Colossae, they knew exactly what he meant. So he wrote this to them, and they understand that when they had a debt, it was written down on a piece of paper, and it was given to them. But they were the ones that wrote it. So there's been documents found in history of saying, like, I will repay so-and-so for whatever. Or if they couldn't physically write it, they would have somebody else to say, like, on behalf of Brad Ogden, I am writing, you know, to admit that I have this debt to so-and-so. So it was this personal recognition, this personal admission of a debt that they owed. But it would often define them. Like, it would, they would carry it around, and they would say, like, you know what, I am, this is a force against me until it's fully repaid. It defines me. I'm captive by this debt. Like, I can't fully be who I am because now I owe this person something. It's incredible. But what happened when they actually repaid the debt? They took the sponge, and they took it on the piece of paper, and they said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe this clean. I'm going to blot out the ink. The ink is gone. The ink is finished. It's completely made new. It's amazing description. You know, and Paul's saying, he goes, no, 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 when, when we look at our past, when we look at the record of our wrong, it's no longer there. Like, it wasn't a red X through it or a line through it that we can still see, that should still define us, that we still know. No, he's saying it's gone. It's blotted out. It's washed away. It's completely made new. That's who you are. And the psalmist knew this. He wrote this, and I love it. He said, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Like, when you think about going west to get to east, you'll never get it. I mean, they're gone, completely separated from us once we come to know our faith in Jesus Christ. Our, faith, our identity is not defined by our past. 
In fact, as we read this, we should know our identity is defined by the cross. That is truly our identity. That is who we are once we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So if blotting out sins or blotting out our past on a piece of paper, removing our debt wasn't good enough, I love how Paul drives this home a little bit further. Look at the second half of this verse that we've already read. It says this, he canceled the record of the charges against us, and here it is, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So he's saying, not only is the piece of paper that your debt was on, your past, my past was on, is washed away, but it's actually made new. It's actually, I'm going to take it and take the actual document, the physical piece that has no record on it, and I'm going to nail it to the cross. And just to show you, like, that even the physical document is useless. It's worthless. It's damaged. Almost like when I renew a passport. Right? I send it away, pay the fee, fill out the form, send my old one there. A few weeks later, they'll send me a new one. They'll also send me an old one. But what do they do to it? They put a hole punch through it. That's canceled. It's done. It's good for nothing. The document that once was good for something is now useless. It's the same way that what Paul is saying is that Jesus took our past and he nailed it to the cross. Even the record of it is no longer good. So only when you and I can truly wrestle through our identity, knowing that it's not defined by our past, but it's actually defined by the cross and what Jesus did on that, and that he rose three days later forgiving us, only then can we begin to understand and look at what fullness in Christ actually means. But it's up to you and I. You see, that fullness in Christ is a choice. It's a choice that we all have to make. It's a reframing of our mind, a conscious decision that you and I need to make. Sometimes it's hourly. It's not a one-time thing we do when we know Jesus Christ and we make this decision and we're, okay, no, this is an hourly, a discipline of the mind, a reframing of how we see ourselves. Because it's too easy for you and I to let other people define who we are. It's too easy for you and I to let our past define who we are. It's too easy for us to let culture define who we are or who we should be. And Paul talks about that in the second half of Colossians, and we don't have time to go into it in detail today, but he's talking about us living and having this identity before Christ as what the world thinks, what culture should you know, say who we are and what we should do and what we should look like and we should do this and we don't, shouldn't do that. You know, but we have to understand, we're not defined by what the world thinks and what human definition of us should be. We're defined by the cross. The pursuit of this fullness through human regulations and human rules and culture, it'll leave us empty. And we think like, hey, we're, I'm going to get a new house or new job or new relationship or all this kind of stuff. We pursue that stuff. It's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave me empty. We don't find our identity in that stuff, even though the world is telling us that's good. That's right. Pursue this. So we have to be careful not to pursue fullness is what the world says because sometimes that pursuit, it will actually satisfy for a little bit, but it's not going to last. And even the pursuit of that stuff often will drain you and I. And then we're in this rut, right? We're feeling empty. We're feeling beat down. We're feeling burdened. So don't continue, is what Paul's saying in that chapter, the second half. He's saying, don't continue to live like that. Don't continue to pursue your identity through what the world thinks of you through what culture thinks of you. No, remember your fullness is in Christ and make the choice. Make the choice to hourly and daily live in that. So Sarah and I uh, made this choice uh, about four years ago. 
2014. I'll never forget it. Um, I had mentioned that we're Canadian. We've been on work visas for a long time. And uh, I'll never forget the date, September 21st, 2014. It was the date that our work visa expired. And many in this room are in the point we're on the journey with us over the last, up until that point, it was probably eight years of us battling, 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 trying to get our green card, trying to, trying to get this document that actually would allow us to stay here and work where we feel like God has called us in this moment in our lives. And so you talk about running on empty. We've been on this journey for eight years battling lawyers and immigration and government and all this stuff. So our visa expired September 21st, 2014. It was in about June, so just a few months before that, our attorney grabbed us and he's like, you know what, like, we don't know, we haven't heard what's going on with your case, so, but as of September 22nd, you're going to be out of status, is what they call it, and so it's like, I couldn't work anymore, I couldn't get paid, I wouldn't be able to provide for my family. And so they said to us, they're like, you need to plan, like, you're moving back to Canada. You need to do that. And we're like, okay, I mean, we don't have a choice really in this. So we put our house on the market, and it sold three days, full asking price. And we're like, okay, God, I guess you're paving the way for us, even though we didn't want to go. But we were broken. We were completely empty. This emotional journey for eight years, up and down, highs and lows, um, all of this, trying to pursue this thing. And we were faced with in that moment of going like, okay, we don't have a house anymore. It's gone. Uh, I'm probably going to lose my job in a few months. Uh, you know, we're going to lose our friends. Our, our community is gone. It will be. Not only will I lose my job here at Connection Point, but this is my church home, my family. It will be removed from us. You know, Canada's not a terrible place to live. Don't get me any wrong. I love it. But like, we're even going to move to another country. We had two girls at the time. Carter wasn't born. All of this. So you talk about running on empty. You talk about a world that is crashing and falling apart. Sarah and I were faced in this moment of a decision that we had to make. And I'll never forget the day. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was done with work here at church. We were in our backyard. The girls were both sleeping. And we were in on our deck talking about this, I mean, <laughs> kind of probably in shock, like, what is happening? And we made a choice that day. We said, you know what, like, our identity is not in this stuff, like my job or this home or even this community, all the things that we love, like, our, that's not our identity, that's not who we are. You see, we realized, and it took us a little while, but we made the choice in that day to say, you know what, like, God, you are good no matter what happens to us. So if we get our green card or we don't, you are still good. The very nature and character of God, the one that we talked about that came fully alive in Jesus Christ, that died on the cross for you and I, like, he doesn't change based off our circumstance. And so we made a choice to say, like, you know what, no matter what happens, if we get this green card or not, we are going to choose to praise your name. We're going to choose to lift your name high. I added the part, it may be through tears, but we're going to make that choice. We're going to make that choice to praise his name. And only then, when you choose to live in the fullness of God, in the fullness of Christ, you have that sense of freedom. But you see, our perspective is everything. How we view things, how we view ourselves, how we view God is everything. 
So if I put this picture up here, I want some honesty. How many in the room and in the point see this glass as half empty? Like one person in here? <laughs> Come on, be honest. How many see it as half full? Okay, I think you're both wrong, okay? Uh, I saw this quote the other day, and I absolutely love it. It says this. It says, you can't look at the glass half full or half empty if it's overflowing. And Paul talks about this. He talks about our perspective of not being half full or even full. He goes a step further and says, true fullness in Christ is actually overflowing. Check out what he says in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue. Okay, here's the process. Here's the daily choice, the hourly choice that we make. It's not a one and done. You have to continue in this to follow him. He says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. It's the process of you and I. Then your faith will grow strong. In the truth you were taught, here's the key, and you will overflow with thankfulness. You will overflow with thankfulness. That's true fullness. You see, fullness in Christ overflows with thankfulness. When we understand who God is, who Jesus is, and how our identity is in him, not our past, only then can we experience fullness. And when we experience fullness, we're actually overflowing. We're impacting other people. If you circle back to Niagara Falls, you circle back to this picture, stunning, right? Incredible, a natural phenomenon. Like, I don't even know how many millions of gallons of water it spills out every day. It's coming from a, a, a great lake into a river, overflowing here. And it affects, I showed you pictures of us in Made of the Mist, right, down in the, in the belly of the waterfall. I mean, you're affected, you're soaking wet, it's loud, all that stuff. But you know who it also affects? It affects the people on the top that are overlooking. When you're down, when you're up by the top of the falls and you're looking at it, you're standing kind of eye level with it, you're getting the mist, you're getting the water, you're getting the impact of this flowing over into the river below. I mean, it's loud, like you can't even have a full conversation because it's just the roaring of the water is so significant, but it impacts you. And I think the same is true with our faith. Once we fully know who we are, then we can live in the fullness. But it's not just about living in fullness for me. When I truly have that, it's spilling out to other people. It's spilling out to other people and impacting them because of the fullness I've found, because of my true identity in Christ. So no matter where you are today, Think about our families, what could be impacted if you and I live truly full in Christ, if we have full lives. Think about what could happen in our circumstances when we think we're running on empty, when our world's crashing and we choose to remember who we are. That's fullness. Our families can be changed. Our marriages can be impacted. The community around us can be impacted because of our identity, because of our fullness in Christ. It spills over into other people. So whether you are here today and you are saying, you know what, Brad, I don't even know if I believe in God. I want to challenge you. Make a choice. Pursue fullness. Because my guess is you're letting your past define you. You're saying, I, don't, I may not even be good enough for God. Well, guess what? None of us are. Don't let that define you today. And whether you've been following Christ your whole life and you are grateful for this fullness, you're grateful that it's overflowing, I want to challenge you. Encourage others when you see them. Just say, remember who you are. Remember what Christ did on the cross. That's who you are. Don't let your past define you. And then we have this group right in the middle. 
of folks that are saying, you know what? I think I've left something on the table with my Christian walk. I think I've been kind of just surviving. Maybe I haven't released something, some, some of my past. Maybe I'm still being held captive by it. Maybe I'm defining myself because of it. And I want to challenge you. Take a step to pursue fullness. Take a step to pursue freedom. Take a step to experience the freedom and the fullness that you and I have in Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. Then you will overflow with thankfulness, not just for yourself, but for other people. Can I pray that for us today? God, I thank you so much for the reminder of your word. I thank you for Colossians and the encouragement it is for everyone. That no matter what happens today, no matter what happens in our life, when we feel like our world is crashing down, when we feel like we can't hold it together, that we're just surviving in this life, I pray right now that in this room and in the point that everyone listening will take a step towards freedom, will take a step towards forgiveness, will take a step towards overflowing with thankfulness because we only know that it's through Jesus Christ who is fully God, that chains can be broken, that people can be set free, marriages can be restored, families can be united, communities can be changed only through the power of Jesus Christ and what you did on the cross. That's fullness, overflowing with thankfulness. So God, give us the discipline of mind to know that we're not defined by our past. It has no bearing. You humiliated our past on the cross. You've shamed it. We are not defined by shame and guilt. We are defined by freedom that we found in Jesus Christ because of what you did on the cross. Help us now to be grateful for that, overflowing with thankfulness. We love you and we praise this in your name. Amen.